Hello, this is Pastor Ryan Brown, and you are listening to the Aroma of Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Let's get started. The scripture reading for this week is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, which talks about how the land that had been in contempt, land of Galilee, intermingled with the Gentiles, land of Zebulun and Naphtali, these areas that had been in contempt, that had been in darkness, will be the first place where light dawns. As we keep reading through the praise that comes in verse 3 about that light, we find that the light ultimately begins with the birth of a child. Birth of a child, Emmanuel, who is mighty God, wonderful counselor, and will reign forever. And so the light of the child is the light that then comes into the darkness of these places. Isaiah 9, verse 1 reads, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as it was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, good morning again. Please, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We have been looking at the book of Matthew, seeing how Matthew tells the life of Jesus and interprets it for us. And we're coming to the end of the first section before the first discourse of the beginning of Jesus, how he was born, how he's been preserved by God with intentional patterning of exodus and fulfillment of prophecies, and now how he's been prepared for ministry by John's proclamation, by his own baptism, and by being seen to be qualified by saying no to the devil. And now his ministry finally begins. He is now able to speak and proclaim for himself what is going on. And that begins 
in Matthew 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Father, I pray that you would help us at this time. Help us to see these words in verses 12 through 25 and know you because of them. Let us rejoice in how they show your character and let us learn then how to live in light of that and to be faithful stewards of the charge that you have given to us Guide what we say and think here today to be honoring to you, to be worshiping of you, and to guide to a deeper understanding of your word, and thus a deeper understanding of you. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask you to either remember or imagine a Christmas Eve candlelight service. Now, personally, I haven't been to a candlelight service, been to other Christmas Eve services, but never one like that. But if you have it already being evening and winter, and all of the lights off, that one candle you first light is going to mean something and show a significant portion of light. The dark place suddenly becomes just barely lit. And then, of course, the candle goes from one to another and starts having actually many candles being lit. Let's imagine that if we had it in this room, we found the darkest part, perhaps the part over by the sound booth where no natural light at all can come in from outside. And that's then where the first candle gets shown So it's coming from the darkest part of the room. That's the imagery that we have from Isaiah 9 in Matthew here. The light is dawning in the darkest possible place. It's not coming to those who are presumably ready, those who are held in high regard, but to the places of shame, the places least prepared. The light of the king's public ministry is dawning. The light of the king is dawning as the king announces and shows that his kingdom is near. And our first little episode shows that it dawns in dark places. The whole episode is verses 12 to 17, but let's start by thinking at verses 12 to 13. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelled in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's a very clear passing of the torch. John was ministering, he was prophesying and preaching. Can't do very much of that, though, if John is in prison. So Jesus hears that John is in prison, and he departs into Galilee. Indeed, he comes in Capernaum, upon the seacoast, and the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. 
And it leaves us with a bit of a question. Because, again, it seems like a trivial travel log. Why is it important to us to know that Jesus came to these areas and Nebulun, Zebulun, Zebulun and Naphtali? But as Tom reminded us this morning in the, his, the, the uh, words of encouragement call to worship, we've seen trivial travel logs that weren't quite so trivial before. We've even seen the very words of departing into a certain area, being used of the wise men, being used of them being warned in a dream to depart another way, or even of Mary and Joseph going into Egypt and then back into Galilee. It's not just a trivial travel log situation. It's not as trivial as it seems. We're almost not surprised when Matthew finishes it off in verses 14 to 16 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. The geographical improbability is remarkable of itself. So far, geographical prophecies, prophecies pertaining to places have been fulfilled in Jesus and that he was born in Bethlehem, that he was called out of Egypt, and indeed that he was called a Nazarene. And now the light of his ministry is dawning in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in Galilee of the Gentiles. Because God's able to orchestrate places and trivial travels to be no our trivial details. But significantly, Matthew seems interested in this prophecy. He seems to be interested in these places of darkness of contempt, of shame, receiving the light first. Because then it reminds us that the light of Jesus doesn't come to the deserving. It comes by means of grace. It comes to the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. It comes to those who are poor in spirit, recognizing their need. And indeed, even the word Galilee of the Gentiles, which is so-called because Gentiles had started living there and intermingling, reminds us that in Matthew, the ultimate end, the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples and through his disciples, the rest of the church, is to go to all nations. I think D.A. Carson summarizes this well in his commentary when he writes, Matthew is not interested in the mere fact that some prophecy was fulfilled in Galilee, but in this particular prophecy. 
From of old, the Messiah was promised to Galilee of the Gentiles, a foreshadowing of the commission to all nations. Moreover, if the messianic light dawns on the darkest places, then Messiah's salvation can only be a bestowal, a giving of grace. Namely, that Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Don't be concerned, O Christian or non-Christian, that your deeds, that your sin, your wickedness and things you do wrong are too much for God's grace. His grace, his light shines in the darkest of places to the darkest of people, the darkest of hearts. Know that his mercy is great, and he is willing to forgive all those who repent. Which is indeed the call of verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By saying from that time, Matthew makes it clear that this is a summary of all of the teaching of Jesus' ministry. That this is his main message. And it's one we should recognize because we've already read it in Matthew 3, 2. There, Matthew describes the ministry of John the Baptist and how he came preaching in Matthew 3, 2 and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The exact same message is now being declared by Jesus, calling for a turning from sin because the kingdom is near. Because the benefits of the kingdom are present, including an indwelling spirit, because those who don't repent will be outside the kingdom in a place of darkness. So do turn from your sin. Turn from the things you do wrong, that lifestyle of selfishness, and turn to Christ. Turn to follow him and have faith in him, believing that his death and resurrection is your hope and stay. The king keeps going, keeps traveling even, in our next episode. As the king calls fishers in verses 18 through 22. It's a pair of two fishermen brothers in verses 18 through 20 where we read this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And so Jesus walks by the Sea of Galilee. And he comes across two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother. And they're busy doing the work of fishermen because they are fishermen. They're casting their net into the sea. And I do want us to make sure we recognize that they're casting their net into the sea. 
When we think of fishing, we may be thinking about a line and a lure, of casting a line and patiently waiting to maybe get a one thing to bite. But what Peter and Andrew and James and John, and thus what the imagery that Jesus picks up on by asking them to be fishers of men, is to cast a net, to drag it, to pull it up with much toil and labor, and bring the fish in. It's a lot more laborious rather than patient work. And as we do think about being fishers of men, then we need to think about the idea of evangelism not just being a throw out a bait and wait, but an intentional, diligent work of bringing in a net and carrying it in. Jesus makes a pretty bold claim and pretty bold command in verse 19. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Come, learn of me. Come, be my disciple. And there's a promise, if you do, that you will be fishers of men. And from a kingdom perspective and the nearness of the kingdom, the point actually seems to come to Jeremiah 16. The imagery in Jeremiah 16 is reversed. There, Jeremiah is prophesying of the coming of exile, not the near end of exile. And he's saying that there'll be people sent out to hunt and fish for people to bring them into that exile and not leave them in the land of Israel. And we see then in Jeremiah 16, 14, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the lands whither he had driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. But first, verse 16, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill, and out of the holes of the rocks. For mine eyes are upon all their ways, they are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first, I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double. Because they have defiled my land, they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. But, in Matthew, they already have paid double. That imagery is used in Isaiah 40, right before the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now the fishers of men are going to hunt them, to tell them the end is here, the kingdom is coming, repent and turn. And so we, ultimately, in Matthew 28 again, are given the same commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, to be fishers of men. 
to let them know of the hope of repentance. So let's do the work. Let's be patient. Let's be diligent to bring them in, cast our net, and let them know the hope of repentance and that beauty. The remarkable thing of verse 20 that only becomes more remarkable in our second example of brothers is that Peter and Andrew do immediately follow Jesus. They leave their nets behind, still in not casting them anymore, and follow. And from there we go into verses 21 to 22. And going on from thence, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. It's pretty similar. Jesus now with two following him keeps going on and traveling. And he sees two other brothers, this time not casting their nets, but mending them, preparing for the next casting. And they are in the ship with Zebedee, their father, which immediately raises the stakes. Now, Jesus' call is not just calling them to leave behind their business, but to immediately leave behind their father and their family. And later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will make it a point to say that following after fathers and respecting parents is a significant thing to do. So the call to leave Zebedee is not a minor thing. But Jesus is right to boldly ask them to do so because following him is worth it. And they are right to immediately leave their father and the ship and follow him. Jesus is worth following and he is worth immediately leaving behind businesses, ways of life, even family if necessary, in order to know him, to gain him, and to learn of him. So now we have these four men ready to fish for men and declare that the king is coming, the king is here, and so the kingdom is not far behind. And then we have just a little bit more. Verses 23 to 25, Jesus continues to move, and the king shows glimpses of the kingdom's glory. We read there, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, 
and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Verse 23, Jesus is now continuing his ministry, going about all Galilee. He's traveling from place to place, and as he does so, he's doing three things. He's teaching in their synagogues, reading the law and explaining it. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, namely verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Which then gets magnified in verse 24 when we start to see that because of his preaching and healing, his fame is going out. And they're bringing unto him sick people with various diseases and torments. All sorts of illnesses, these people are being brought to him. Those which were possessed with devils, and not only so, but those who were lunatic, or perhaps better, those who were epileptic. And those who were pawed the palsy, those who were paralyzed. Not only those who were epileptic, but those who were paralyzed as well. And he healed them. Starts to show the power of his kingdom, and indeed give a glimpse, a foretaste of what he will do in full, bearing the sicknesses of those who believe. Please turn with me to Isaiah 35. We looked at Isaiah 35 in the Sunday school class last year to think about the miracles, not so much as powers of themselves, but signs, foretaste, and glimpses of the work ultimately in the kingdom of heaven or in the new creation. And there in Isaiah 35, we read this. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Similar to the imagery of Isaiah 9, now instead of light coming in the darkest places, water is coming in the driest places, the most unexpected places. And when that water comes and when that light dawns, it's ultimately not just a response of some minor things here and there, it's wholesale. 
complete, exhaustive. This isn't a prophecy of Jesus' first coming, but his second. That there are foretastes and glimpses in his first coming. The blind did see. The ears of the deaf did become unstopped. In our text, the leap, lame man are leaping as a heart. Demons are being cast out. Those with epilepsy are being healed. See glimpses of the beauty of the kingdom for those who repent. There will be no pain, no sickness, no tears. And Matthew finishes the section. He says that there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Jesus is attracting many through his teaching and healing. The king is on the move. His light has dawned in the darkest of places, just as it always does, coming to the unworthy and undeserving. And he has announced the coming of the kingdom. He has announced the need for repentance. And he has shown some of the beauty. And our task is simple. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or even with the Matthew 28 connection of Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles, and the task of all nations. Or the request of the disciples to be fishers of men. The task before us is to repent because the kingdom is coming. And then for those of us who have repented, it's to cast out the net and tell others to repent because the kingdom is coming. To go out and tell the gospel and evangelize, even to the darkest of places, the light dawned in the darkest of places. God's grace is to us, the undeserving. Father, we thank you for this introduction to Jesus' ministry, that he announces, even in the places of contempt and shame, indeed especially in the places of contempt and shame, that the kingdom is near, showing even the power of that kingdom, knowing then that we cannot be too undeserving to receive your grace and mercy. And knowing that no one to which we talk could be so undeserving as to not deserve to hear the gospel or be able to be too much for you to save. Help us, Lord, to go out from here rejoicing in our own salvation and declaring our salvation to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Pastoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things?